my modus operandi is uh, to work in partnership in a consultative, uh, collegiate kind of way. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 64 of the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking up a big game. Hey there, semi pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi Pro Cycling, home of the Semi Pro Cyclist. And let's get today underway with one very, very quick review. Loving the show. Five stars. Grant DL from Australia. Really enjoying the show. Full of great information and very informative. Keep up the good work. Thank you for that great quick review, Grant. I really do appreciate you taking the time out to do that. And a reminder to you listening that if you do love the show, I would absolutely love if you went to iTunes and left a review for me. Thank you very much. Now, the news of the week and the World Championships. We have a new men's and women's and under 23s and all the rest of it world champions that will be wearing their jerseys with pride well probably just the men's and women's but that's a different story anyway how about that men's race i know it's an overused word but i would say epic i would say as epic as milan san remo this year absolutely crazy conditions a super duper long race that was made even harder when italy came to the front in the first lap and just continued to turn the screws it was so cool that we saw countries dropping out left right and center I'm not going to talk about weak source UK in this instance, but I will talk about Australia crashing out and only leaving Simon Clark in there and then him doing Australia absolutely proud. There's a great interview on the SBS Cycling Central website that you could hunt down. You can see the emotion behind what he was writing for when he was out there during the day. But I've got to say that the one thing that sums up the race for me is Sagan's face at the finish line. I don't know whether you've seen this photo, but I've never seen Sagan so worn out, so smashed from a race and just crossing the line and probably thankful that it's all over. If you want to go back and try and find this photo, I'll try and find the link and put it in the show notes because that's probably the one and only time you're going to see Sagan absolutely suffering and looking bad and not very pro, but congratulations to Rui Costa. He rode a really smart race. You didn't see him until the top of the last climb and then he even sat on wheels coming back. I got to say that last 10-15 k's was some of the best racing I have seen in a long time. There was so much going on and with two Spanish riders in there, they definitely have copped a lot of flack for their race tactics but I got to say I can't really hate on Valverde that much and It's just really bad luck. Rui Costa played a great game. Nibali, the courageous shark that just kept going and going even after his crash and you probably thought it was all over. This guy is amazing and you can't take anything away from him. But the big talk is the talk of Rodriguez turning around and saying something to Costa just as he caught him with 500 meters to go. A lot of people are really confused but there's a couple of bits that are floating around the media as to what was actually happening at the time and Costa addressed the chat saying that when I got to him, he told me to pass him. I didn't want to, thinking about the sprint. I looked back, saw we had a good gap, and I was just hoping my legs wouldn't fail me, and they didn't, and I was able to realize a dream. Rodriguez said in his own words that he intended to get him nervous, but it was impossible. He was very secure in himself. So at the end of the day, 
And I think Andrew Hood from Velo News wraps it up perfectly. At the end of the day, Costa single-handedly outfoxed and outrode two of the strongest and deepest teams in the most important one-day race of the year. Isn't that how a world champion is supposed to ride? Yes. Just a couple other thoughts from the world championships. How can you go past Marion Voss putting it up, that last little pinch before riding away to a solo win? Just the look on her face and the strain and how hard it was based on that percentage of that climb was absolutely amazing and you cannot take anything away from her. She has got to be one of the greatest of all time and just continues to impress and she absolutely celebrated in style and is so humble even though she is a killer. And the other race that I got really excited about was the under-23 men's. I do have to say, Australia put in a great race, and you can't go past Caleb Ewan coming away with fourth. He was a marked man because he was a sprinter that made it over the climb, and so he couldn't actually get away from anyone, and he didn't have anything left for the sprint. But the winner, and I'm going to get this wrong, Marjed Morik, he was absolutely amazing. And that's one thing that really popped out to me. You know, he is first year under 23, just like Caleb Ewan. And the funny thing about being one of the best is it seems there is always someone that is better. You know, we've seen this repeat over and over again in pro cycling. And it seems like this, well, I hope this will be a rivalry for many, many years to come because it seems like both these guys have the stuff to go all the way when it comes to this race in the open men's category. So the nuts and bolts this week, following along from the theme of off-season and looking at your season and what to do next season, I thought it was really time to break down the A race that you chose from last time and have a look at how that can then translate into your performance plan for your entire season. It won't go into that much detail, but it is a 12-step performance planning process for competitive cyclists. So the idea is to look at your event and the requirements of the event and then your capabilities and then matching those into some type of training. This idea was inspired from this clip. A key part of our performance planning process is that we, you know, we start by analysing the demands of the event. So you know, we do that in a variety of ways, but um, both qualitatively and quantitatively. So for, say for example, for determining what physical capabilities are required to, uh, to meet the demands of a, of a specific event or a specific stage on an event, we'll have a look at you know, the power required, the power, power to weight ratios, you know, the duration that that power um, needs to be sustained for. Um, and then once we establish what, what, um, what, what, what the requirements of the event are, we'll then look at um, analysing the capabilities of our riders and uh, identifying areas where there's a need to, uh, to improve the capabilities of our riders through targeted training programs. Um, so that they can meet the demands of the event. Tim Kerryson of the Sky Team talking about planning at the start of last year, and I've kind of taken this idea and extended it and put it into an actionable process for semi-pros. Okay, so you've got your A race and you've decided that this is what you want to go for. There's a whole bunch of different scenarios that play along here depending on what data you have and what data you have access to. So I'm kind of just going along and it's kind of a choose your own adventure in the way that you may have to skip some steps, but because it gets too complicated, I'm just going to run through it and then hopefully you can get what you can from this. But ideally, you want to have raced the event before and so you have data on the 
physical requirements that it takes to do well or at least what it took you to finish the event so that if you're able to also get a hold of, say, the winner's data, the winner in your category, so you can make a comparison between the two. And then essentially all you're trying to do is just fill the gap in training. So if you don't have this, then it starts to get really complicated. So you look at step number one, and really you want to collect data from the event. So like I said, a previous data file from your race or a data file from somebody else's race is really the ideal way to look into what the demands of that event are. But if you don't have that... Step two is searching out the results for the winner of your event in your category. So this information is readily available, especially if you're in the US, just head to usacycling.org. But most clubs and racing outfits have online results these days. I don't think there would be any major race that doesn't have them. So it makes it quite easy. But your first bit of recon is into the rider themselves. So your competition or someone that has done what you want to do. And if you're using Strava comparisons chart at the right-hand side of the page, uh, before I go any further, I will say this is Strava heavy. So if you're not a user, maybe consider even just signing up for a free account so you can get benefits of some of the things I'm talking about. If you get into Strava and you've found the winner in Strava, then you can make a quick comparison for their year. You can see how much they train, what their frequency and volume is like, and also the time that they spend training each week. And then you can use that to make decisions about your overall or your annual training plan. Step three is find the Strava race data. So search Strava for the data from this rider for the event. This is not always a given though. So this is where you start have to getting resourceful and looking around because there's a few scenarios here where they may not have recorded the entire race or may not have even recorded it at all, or they may be holding back some vital information from that race. So what we are looking for here is an overview of the effort that is required or that they put in to finish the race. If you can find the data easily and you've got the bits from step one and two, then skip over the next step and go straight to step five. But otherwise, your next best option is step four, which is search Strava for the event. So find the event. A hot tip here is that the name of the event is not always recorded by all of the riders that competed. So if you look for the other riders section up near the heading or the title of the actual page, then you'll be able to see a whole bunch of riders that have completed this event as well. Unfortunately, there really is no way to filter these peeps out. They're just pictures with names and you have to click on them to go through them. I generally start with the most pro-looking profile picture and kind of work from there, but you could go back to your results page and search for the name of the highest placed writer in your category. This is definitely a slow process, but I do believe it's worth it so you get accurate data for the event that you're trying to train towards. So step five is creating a race route and or a race profile. So this is where you're starting to build what the race looks like at its perfect form, and then so you can match that later on. And if you can't find the race through Strava, then you need to create a race profile so at least you know the climbing demands of the event, and it really wouldn't hurt to do this anyway. I used Strava routes for the first time, and I've got to say, it's good to have a centralized place to store your race profiles, but doing it in Strava has some huge bonuses, which we will get into, but in the past, I've mapped out rides on the free and very capable GMAP 
pedometer.com. So that's an option if you don't want to sign up for Strava Premium, which currently is where Strava Root sits. But if you do use the Root Builder, it's quite straightforward. There are no surprises. I will say it is still in beta though. So I did find it a little buggy at times. And especially when I wanted to map on a road and there was a mountain bike track right near it, it would automatically follow the mountain bike track, which I guess makes good for mountain bike race profiles, but it's a little annoying for the road ones. Step six, record overall data. So once you have the route sitting in front of you, you're able to work out some of the demands of the vent. I was able to record this in a template I made up as a Google spreadsheet, which I'll share in the show notes, but basically you're just covering things like event, event date, event race, event type and race distance. And when you have an actual route in front of you, that's when you can look into the different parts of it and see which ones are going to actually be important in the race itself. I went the extra step of actually manually recording these specific sections of the course and I was noting their type and number, so climb one, two, three, and four, and the characteristics, so whether it was short, sharp, whether there was a break in the middle, the distance, the elevation gain, and estimating an average gradient. And most importantly, the distance that these sections start and finish so that eventually I can print this out and put this on my stem so I have it on race day. Step seven, find and record important sections of the race. Once you have recorded the overall data, we get to use the power feature that only Strava can provide, segments. So getting a look at the actual demands of specific sections of the route is a great feature, which is even more valuable if you're not near the race course. So in the routes builder, you can enable a segment explore. And essentially, you're just looking to match up the data you already have recorded, but also adding the crucial parts and working at the demands of the event by adding average gradient, elapsed time, power, and average speed. So if your original target rider has this information on their profile, then perfect. And if they're a premium member, this is really easy to transfer across. Otherwise, it will take a little time to get the best information at this point. In a perfect situation, you can find data from a rider in the race with a power meter and they are a premium member, but you will have to just wing it at this stage and finding riders around your level and with real power data is the absolute minimum that I would aim for. Step eight is highlighting the key race sections. So next, we need to assess the physical capabilities needed to match the demands of the event and take a closer look at the key sections of the race. If you don't have a complete race file, your only option is to pick out the segments that you've recorded and use that information. So if you want to get really serious at this point, you could try and break down the entire ride mile by mile, but I'm only looking at what I believe are the key sections of the race, parts of the races where I could get into trouble or where I believe some action could go down or places where I could attack at the beginning, middle or start. This is really based off my own feel as a rider or the rider I'm working with, but we can get into rider capabilities in a moment. But for now, highlighting two or three decisive sections in your spreadsheet will get you started. The information that you're really looking at is distance, elevation gain, average grade, elapsed time, power and average speed. So really you're wanting to know the power that's required to get through these sections and the duration of the power required. So so what you want to look at after you've got the event down is your actual capabilities. So now it's time to look at where you are and what you're capable of. So step nine, assess your general capabilities. Here is where we focus on the gap between the two. So starting wide with aerobic and can you sustain the overall effort in time that the winner did last year? So that is just a general 
will you have the legs when it comes time to racing this race? And have you raced it before? So can you cover this distance? So this is not specific training. This is base training. This is building. And this is where you will then have to base your longest ride on the actual race that you are competing in. But if you have a file from last year, this will really help you to see the time spent in each zone and where you might have lost the race fitness-wise. And also using the sections of the race you've pinpointed in Strava helps make this comparison. And if you don't have this information, then looking at your Strava segments is going to be the next best option. So that's step 10. And looking at your specific capabilities through finding similar Strava segments. So using the My Segments page of Strava, look for the exact segments or match the criteria of your decisive sections. This will become the basis of your focused intensity training when we get later on in the season. You will have to use your judgment on which ones are the closest. A couple of guidelines though, go for the longer rather than the shorter ones and go for the less steep gradients rather than the steeper gradients. And don't be afraid to cut longer climbs into shorter segments so you get the right training effect. But the questions now to ask yourself are, are you capable of hitting the same numbers as the race segments? If yes, can you hit them multiple times? If no, then you're going to have to work out how you can get to that number, whatever that number is. And depending on what power zone these efforts are in, looking at the frequency and volume of each zone will give you an idea of the overall demands of the event at certain intensities other than just aerobic. So how long do you need to be capable of sitting in each zone and then you have to move towards that point? Step 11 is the training. So once you've assessed where the demands of the event are, what the rider that wins has to be capable of, and then you've matched yourself to those capabilities, and there's a gap between those two, that's where the training is there to fill in that gap. So any obvious gaps in the analysis done so far will help you guide your training. And as Tim likes to say, let the numbers guide you. But the first gap and low-hanging fruit is your weight. So weight-wise, what weight do you have to be to produce these watts? Your power-to-weight ratio could give you a really easy boost. Well, not that easy, but easy as far as if you were controlled in your eating and you hit your nutrition right, then you're going to get quicker boosts than just training on its own will allow. If this isn't possible or it's too far of a reach, then don't risk the loss of power, especially if you're not going to be monitoring your nutrition and your power seriously. And step 12 is really now the time to finalize this and prioritize your training elements. And so like I said, aerobic is one really big component here. But when it comes to focus on intensity and training, you can train indoors or outdoors. And there's a couple of ways that you can do this. So planning indoor training and using the average watts of the segments as an indicator. So if it's you have to sustain 300 watts for three minutes and you have to do that five times over the race, building up to that during your season is going to be the best way to have specific specificity in your actual training. To get even more specific and using technology to help you, something like Strava Segments, the Strava Segments app and Oahu Kicker in ERG mode will simulate the segments exactly. So it'll simulate the wattage and and put your trainer into that wattage. So you have to put in the exact same effort it would be if it was up a hill. Of course, it's not the same thing, but it is the closest thing we've got at the moment. And next to planning indoor training, of course, is planning outdoor training. And so you want to, if you can, ride the segment. That is going to be the absolute best way for you to train. If you train the exact way that you will race, you're going to get better and better and better. And if you can't, then ride the similar 
similar segment that you identified earlier. And that way, you can try and copy the physical requirements that it takes to get up these climbs. And then you just have to repeat that depending on what the total time of that zone is. And so you build towards that during your training year. I want to say, though, it's really hard for me to get into specifics, which is a bit of a bummer because I really enjoy getting in and getting down into this deep and dirty stuff. It seems like it's overkill in some situations, but I really think that it helps people that don't have any idea as to what types of fitness they need, especially if they just wanted to focus on one or two things because they don't have enough time to train all the other areas that are involved. But definitely speaking of the other areas, unless your event is a sportif or a Grand Fondo type of non-competitive event, then this alone is probably going to be enough. But the tricky and skillful part of training is when this is a race, when your A race is an actual race. Funny that. But unless it's a time trial or an MTB race where you have a steady state, there's going to be lots of other elements involved. And this is racecraft plus your tactical fitness. So you have to have fitness for attacks and sprints. And so these aren't steady state. And these these do come into it because missing a break or not being able to sprint may be the difference between getting into that winning break, and even winning the race. So if you use this as a base, but let your strengths and weaknesses guide you to determine the rest of your training, then you should have a well-rounded training plan in place that will build you up towards this event. So the tech hacks and products section, this is a really simple one that I thought about the other day. And when you're climbing or if you're out of the saddle sprinting, don't take the extra pedal when you sit back down after you've stood up. And it sounds really simple, but the timing or laziness that gets in the way stops me personally from doing it every single time. But I know doing it now in training will save me when I need the efficiency when I'm racing. So my technique has been sharpened from many years riding a fixie, which you don't have any option to rest and stop, and you have to just work out how to get back on that seat, otherwise you're in trouble. So it is generally ingrained into my head. But like I said, I do get lazy sometimes. So this is a reminder for me and for you to practice on continually pedaling when I'm sitting down on the bike. Now, that quote from the top of the show, it's Brian Cookson, the other big news from the world's a new UCI president. Not that it means a lot to us as semi-pros, but we are in some way affected by UCI decisions, whether it's race wheels regulation or whether it's women's race viewing rights. So I, for one, am happy that a change has been made at the top. He is talking a big game and sometimes confusing like the initial clip. But even though I'm a little skeptical of peeps that run their mouth, I will give Mr. Cookson the benefit of the doubt for now to see if he can clean up the UCI circus. But let me know what you think. Do you think he's got the power to make some changes? And that's it this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 